And as the children go, I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel and chapter 9. 2 Samuel and chapter 9. Once again, if you're using the normal print Bibles, it's page 312. Page 312. And if you're using the larger print Bible, it's page 480. Page 480. 2 Samuel and chapter 9. This uh, chapter begins a new section in 2 Samuel, a section that runs right the way through to to chapter 20. And at the end of the previous chapter, we've got an indicator of the fact that there's a, a kind of summary before we come into this new section. In verse 15 of chapter 8, it says, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. We're now moving to a story, an event, that gives us an insight into the character of David's reign as king. And you've probably noticed in your, in your Bibles that it's um, got the title David and Mephibosheth. Let's read from God's word. David asked... Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machia, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machia, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, And you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of 
Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. So we're looking at uh, 2 Samuel and chapter 9. And uh, our theme for this morning is this. The unfailing kindness of God in Christ. The unfailing kindness of God in Christ. And if you like a, a, a verse in the passage that we've read to hang the message on, then you could do no better than take the last verse that reminds us that at the end of this little bit of narrative, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. In many ways, it's a beautiful story, isn't it? It's a beautiful story of a promised kept and kindness shown. And in a sense, Pentecost is like that as well, isn't it? It's the evidence of a promise kept, a promise by God that there would be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit is an evidence of God's kindness to a sinful, fallen world. And we see that in the events that are recorded here in this chapter. It's a story in which David does a really good and Christ-like thing. But if you listen to the story carefully and see how that it impacts upon us, you will find that there's a challenge and even an aspect that could offend us. I wonder if you're ready for what God has to say to you this morning by way of challenge and even offence. You see, it's worth being challenged and offended by God. Actually, it's the way you can get to know his kindness. Our outline is going to follow just three little headings and then something to sum up. The first of them is Mephibosheth's unworthiness. The second is David's kindness. The third is the kindness of God. And then what does this story mean for us? But before we dive into that, we just need to pick up on a little bit of background to this story. I don't know whether it's a story that's stuck in your mind, maybe from Sunday school days, or you've heard somebody preach on it before, or whether it's a story that you've never really noticed before. But there are certain things of background that will help us to understand it. As chapter 8 verse 15 has shown us, David is now recognized as king of Israel. But in the record of 1 and 2 Samuel, that's not always been the case. David first comes on the scene at a time when God asks for him to be anointed as the next king of Israel. And in his defeat by God's power of Goliath, the Philistine giant. David had the reputation for being a valiant soldier and a successful officer in the army of Saul. But Saul, the king, became very envious of David and wanted David dead. He had an irrational hatred towards David, even despite the fact that David showed kindness after kindness to Saul. And in that relationship with King Saul, a very special friendship grew up with Saul's son, Jonathan. 
We might say today that they became the best of mates. The closest of pals, bosom pals, David and Jonathan. And in fact, their friendship bonds became so deep that they survived the murderous hatred of Jonathan's father. In fact, so much so that though Jonathan was an heir to the throne, he recognized that in the purposes of God, he was not going to succeed his father, but that David would. And he not only recognized that, but he accepted it. He saw that this was in accordance with God's plan and purpose. And so these two friends agreed a covenant. In the background to this story, this covenant between Jonathan and David is absolutely crucial. You need to go back to 1 Samuel 20 to find the details of it. We haven't time this morning to look into every aspect. But in that chapter, you will find in verse 8 that David asked Jonathan to show covenant kindness to him. And then in verse 14, Jonathan asked David to show unfailing kindness to him and his descendants, a kindness like that of the Lord. And what's significant is that the word that is used to describe this covenant kindness, this unfailing kindness, in the Hebrew language is the word chesed. This is the word that's used in Scripture to refer to God's unconditional and loyal love for his people. Knowing that immediately changes the way we read the narrative, both there in 1 Samuel 20 and here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We realize that something is being set forth before us that we need to take very special attention of. Now, as the story goes on through the rest of 1 Samuel, tragically, Jonathan dies uh, with his father in battle against their archenemies, the Philistines. But soon after his enthronement, that's the implication of chapter 9, verse 1, David asks if there is anyone to whom he can show the kindness of the Lord to someone in the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. Despite all the great things that have happened to David, and now the fact that he's come to the throne of Israel, he remembers the covenant promise that he made. And this reminds us that it's really important that we keep promises and that we're careful what we promise. We're seeing that at the moment, aren't we, with some of our politicians who in previous times have made promises about various things and then have to admit, well, circumstances have changed and so I probably need to change the outline of my promises too. That isn't the case with God. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Conditions don't change how he fulfills that promise. And it should be the same with us too that we keep our word and that we're careful when we make a promise that it is a promise that we will be able to keep. Now David's desire to show kindness to a descendant of Saul was most unusual. In those days, and it happens today as well, 
It's often the case that those who come to power want in one way or another to silence or get rid of those who could be a threat to their dynasty. But David asks to see this man Ziba. In fact, he just asks if there's anyone who he could show the kindness of God to from Jonathan's household. And Ziba, who'd been a servant of Saul's household, was the character that his advisors singled out. Interestingly, he's a man of some influence, isn't he? He's got 15 sons, and he's got 20 servants. I'm always a little bit embarrassed when I'm in Uganda, and we go round and we share our family information with the people at the conferences. And I have to say, well, I have one wife, and I have three sons. And I have three grandchildren. And they've all been saying, well, I have one wife and I've got 15 children. And I've got 56 grandsons. And it just goes on like this. They're so familiar with having large families. And large families are often associated with status. And that was the case with Seba. He wasn't an also around. He didn't normally consider himself just to be a servant. And when he was summoned to come to King David, he probably didn't know whether to be hopeful or fearful. To his surprise, perhaps, David inquires after Saul's household, and he's told about Joseph's son, Mephibosheth. And that brings us to the first of our three main points. Firstly, Mephibosheth's unworthiness to come under the consideration of King David. You see, the thing is, Poor old Mephibosheth is physically disabled, having been dropped when he was a five-year-old by his nurse. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 4 verse 4. And in that culture, sadly as in many cultures around the world today, people with disabilities are unwanted, they're often disregarded, they're classed as outcasts, And they're not really cared for. And that reminds us how important it is that we, as those who are Christians, demonstrate the kindness of God by being willing to accept and embrace, to welcome, and to respond to the needs of those who have disability. Who need to be able, if they want to join with a local church, to know that that church is accessible accessible in the ways that meet their disabilities. That's something for us as a church to think about, isn't it? We've got level access for wheelchairs, though the entrance at the door is sometimes a problem to wheelchairs. We do give out sheets with hymns on, but do we necessarily give them out with those with larger print for those who have visual impairment? Do we make it clear that we have a hearing loop There are so many things that we need to be conscious of if we're going to be a church that is accessible. But for Mephibosheth, he lived at a time when those who were disabled had many disadvantages. that They were overlooked. They were considered to have a low status. And they depended on others for protection and provision. Thankfully, Mephibosheth did have this in the house of Machias, son of Amiel in Lodabar, a place that was far away from Jerusalem on the far side of Jordan. 
somewhere where he could be relatively safe and inconspicuous. But the implication of the story is that Mephibosheth is not worth bothering with. He's no real use to King David. He's undeserving of David's kindness. He might even be considered as a threat. There is nothing about him that deserves the kindness that David wants to show, especially because he is a direct descendant of King Saul. And so that brings us to the second point. David's kindness in verses 6 and 7. Why does David show this kindness to Mephibosheth? Well, he shows this kindness because he's made a promise. A promise to Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. And so he insists that Mephibosheth is brought into his household, that he eats at his table, that he has his lands that were those that had belonged to Saul restored to him, and that he's given a capable person like Zeba to tend his lands. David doesn't merely spare Mephibosheth's life. He heaps goodness on him. He chooses to treat him like a member of his own family. We could say that he gives him a pension for the rest of his life. And he does this because of the covenant kindness that he has sworn with Jonathan. And Jonathan who had received that covenant, is blessed through his son Mephibosheth. David keeps his promise. In fact, you could say that apart from this covenant, Mephibosheth didn't have very much going for him. He really did need the kindness of another because he was incapable of resurrecting his own fortunes because of his disability. And what we see in this is a picture of God's kindness, isn't it? I'm sure you're two steps ahead of me and have already recognised that that is the case. This Old Testament story illustrates the kindness of God to you and me. David had experienced the kindness of God. Back in 2 Samuel in chapter 7 and verse 18, when though having had in his own heart the desire to build a temple, a solid construction for God, he was told that that wasn't to be his task, but instead God was going to build a household for him. He said, who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? He knew what it was to be unworthy. He knew what it was to be taken from being a shepherd of his father's flock to the significant position of being king in Israel. And verse 3 in our passage confirms this, doesn't it? It says, the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? He'd known God's kindness and he knew he needed to show this kindness to others. And that brings us to the the application of this passage. What does this story mean for us? And this is where we face a challenge, and maybe even 
and offence. And the first is that you and I are represented by Mephibosheth. By nature, we are like Mephibosheth. It's probably the hardest thing for us to accept. We would say, well, my circumstances aren't like Mephibosheth's. You might even say, well, I don't have a physical disability. But in the sense that we're all undeserving of God's kindness, then we are like Mephibosheth. We're actually powerless to change our relationship with God. We, we cannot reconcile ourselves to a holy God. We have nothing to offer God. God doesn't set his love upon us because he spots some special qualities that we have that will be useful to him in his kingdom. And we've no right to be accepted and certainly no right to be accepted to the point where we're welcomed into his family. In fact, in a far more serious way than was the case for Mephibosheth, we're actually only deserving of death because that's what our sins deserve. Like Mephibosheth, we need to be able to say, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I don't suppose you, you came to church this morning to hear that you're like a dead dog. But in spiritual terms, we are. Do you see how it connected with what Leslie read for us earlier in Romans chapter 5? We're told that God demonstrated his love for us while we were powerless. Or that could be translated helpless. Verse 6. That while we were sinners, those who didn't come up to the mark. Verse 8. While we were enemies. Verse 10. It was then that God demonstrated his own love for us. And the Greek word used there in Romans for love is the word agape. I'm sure many of you have heard that Greek word of that Greek word before. And when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, the Hebrew word chesed was replaced by the Greek word agape. In spiritual terms, we're powerless, worthless sinners, missing the mark. Enemies of God, that's our natural condition. We don't deserve to know the unfailing kindness of God, and yet that is what he has shown us. And he's shown it to us in his Son. And that's why David is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore of the kindness of God. David took the initiative to find Mephibosheth and to bless him in accordance with the covenant promise he'd made. It was a fulfillment of a promise. And God does the same thing, doesn't he? He takes the initiative to show us kindness. And when he takes that initiative, he does so in accordance with a promise that he's already made. There is a promise of unfailing kindness that God has established and that which God the Father, God the Son, 
And God the Holy Spirit are fully committed to make sure that it's kept. We see that promise in the new covenant that's promised by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. It's why the writer to the Hebrews brings out that covenant promise in detail in Hebrews 8 and in Hebrews 10. But that new covenant promise was preceded by a promise that goes way back into the mists of eternity past. It's what theologians call the covenant of redemption. Like the Trinity itself, you will not find one simple proof text to say that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The more you read the Scriptures, though, you can see that it's unavoidably true, even though it's hard to comprehend. And it's the same with this covenant of redemption. And we can sum up this covenant of redemption with the words that you can see on the, on the screen. We could refer to it in this way. It's the agreement established in eternity between the Father who gives the Son to be the Redeemer and requires of Him the conditions for the redemption of the people of God, namely His perfect sacrifice of atonement. And the Son who voluntarily agrees to fulfill these conditions and the Spirit who voluntarily applies the work of the Son to those who are redeemed. This loving kindness of the Father brings those who He has given to the Son, who are loved by the Son, into God's family. And this is accomplished by the powerful work of God the Holy Spirit. It's he who makes us children of God so that we can be treated as co-heirs with Christ. And so a bit like Mephibosheth, we're blessed massively more than ever we deserve it. Dead dogs we might be, but no longer because we've been brought into God's family and he looks upon us as his own precious children. Four times here in this passage in 2 Samuel, verse 7, verse 10, verse 11, verse 13, we're told that Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. Do you get the feeling that the writer of 2 Samuel was trying to make a point for you? Four times he tells us that he was able to eat at his table. Why? Because that was just so extraordinary, so unexpected, so undeserved, and yet so incredible. He's elevated, and he sits there with those who were the sons of the king by birth. Three times, we're told, he always ate at the king's table. So it wasn't just an occasional thing. Every day, Mephibosheth had the right to sit at the king's table. And he also had the family lands restored to him. He was even given a helper in the person of Ziba, the manager of his affairs. 
But at the same time, the passage also reminds us twice. First of all, in verse 3, when Mephibosheth comes on the scene, and at the end of the chapter in verse 13, that he was crippled in both feet. And it's the last thing that's said about Mephibosheth in this passage. He's still powerless. He's still helpless. He still needs the support of King David. And although we may no longer be a dead dog, we are still powerless and helpless in and of ourselves. Jesus says, you can do nothing apart from me. It reminds us, doesn't it, as we close, that the merciful, loving kindness of our God is all of grace. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. In fact, what we actually do is we demerit it. We make it all the more likely that we should never know it. And there's a sense in which, in spiritual terms, in this world, we'll always be disabled. We won't deserve to be at the table, or adopted into the family, or reconciled with God. But nevertheless, we can sit at the king's table, like one of the king's sons, knowing the covenant love of God in a promise that was made between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all that long time ago, and yet fulfilled in time when God has revealed himself to us in and through his Son. Can I ask you this morning, do you know that covenant kindness of God? Is that your experience? Do you know that you've been embraced by the triune God and brought into the Father's family to sit with the Son and to be helped by God the Holy Spirit? If you don't, do you want to know this kindness? Well, firstly, if you do, you've got to accept your need. You've got to come before God and admit that you are, in spiritual terms, like a dead dog. But that God in his great mercy can show you kindness beyond anything you could ever deserve and a kindness that will last forever and forever. But if you do know this kindness, then what should it promote in you? Two things. A desire to show the kindness of God to others. Just as when David experienced the kindness of God, he wanted to show it to others. And then secondly, to delight in praising God for the kindness that he's shown to you. And we're going to do this as we sing two songs to finish. They're about the mystery and the marvel of God's grace in his kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first of them is the mystery of the cross that has that little line in it. You'll recognize it when we get there. We're seated at his table. And then finally, mystery of mysteries that reminds us that our God has prepared a place for us. Let's stand together to sing.
And now to the God, to God the Father who loved us and saved us through his only begotten Son. To God the Son who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own precious blood. And to God the Holy Spirit who loves us and reveals the love of God to us and in us. To the one true God be all honour and all glory and praise for time and for eternity. Amen.